Gospel of Luke is uh, is again one of the four gospels. We have four gospels in the New Testament, which are the first four books of the New Testament. They were uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Interesting that that those four gospels are the are the books that contain to us the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ uh, here on earth. And and Luke uh, uh, gives us it's either, it's actually the longest of the gospels. Of all four of the gospels, it's the longest. Interesting that out of all the four gospel writers, only two of them were actual disciples, and that's uh, John and Matthew. Luke and Mark were not actual disciples of Jesus. They never walked with Jesus, but they walked with the apostles afterwards. And so Luke is the author of the, of the gospel, Luke, and he is also the author of the, of, of the book of Acts. And so Luke, uh, uh, again, he compiled the book of uh, the gospel, Luke, as he just took this, these, these, eye, these eyewitness accounts. He talked to Mary, he talked to Paul, he talked to the apostles, and he pinned all this down. So he didn't walk with Jesus but he walked with all the disciples and, and he got his information uh, from the disciples. The Bible tells in, in, the, in, the, in the book of Acts that Luke was actually a physician. <laughs> I can't never pronounce that word. But he's a doctor. The guy, he was a doctor. Right now, interesting that, that back then, right, the doctors, they didn't have like the, the high notoriety that, that, that they do today, right? They weren't considered like, uh, you know, the, the upper there in class or the more important. Uh, it was actually very common for for, for a, a, a Roman uh, individual or even a, a Greek individual to have a doctor as a servant or as, as, a, as a slave. And he would own him. He would pay his, 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 uh, his wages and he would work for him. He would be his own personal doctor, but he was considered more of a servant. Right? And so that's who Luke was. And it's believed, as we get into these first uh, few verses, that, uh, that, that Luke, as he's writing the gospel of Luke, and also, also as he's writing the, the book of Acts, that he's actually writing to his master, a man by the name of Theophilus. Now, the gospel of Luke is, is interesting uh, for many reasons. One, it mentions a lot of things that the other gospel writers don't mention. Again, because Luke took the time to investigate, because he was a doctor, he was prone to uh, poking and kind of just getting to deeper issues. Right, uh, that's his mind. That's the mind of a doctor. So they don't just uh, uh, you go in with the uh, with with pain in your knee, and they don't say, "All right, well here, take some Tylenol." No, they're gonna dig deep until you get to uh, take you to get an MRI. They're gonna get to the root of the problem. Right, they're gonna keep poking and poking and poking until they find the root of the problem. That was Luke, and so it, it's interesting that as he writes his gospel, again he took the time to interview all the eyewitnesses. Uh, the gospel of Luke is the only one of the gospels that's written in chronological order, and it's also the longest gospel. And so as we read through the Gospel of Luke, all these, all these uh, uh, events happen you know, in a sequence of, 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 uh, of time. So they all happen in chronological order. And um, so as we get into the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 1, he says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, that's the chronological order, an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Notice that. That's the guy's name. That you may know the certain the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. And so and so Luke, as he's writing again. His aim in writing the Gospel of Luke is to make an orderly account of all things which he has uh, heard. And, and, and as he interviewed all these eyewitnesses, he notice he says that he had perfect understanding of all these things. 
right? He was uh, the Apostle Paul's traveling companion. Later on, he became the Apostle Paul's own personal doctor. As in the book of Acts, we're told the Apostle Paul was, uh, he was, man, plagued with many different uh, illnesses. You know, the dude was just sick. You know, the, the God used him mildly, but he was always sick. He always had these infirmities. And so uh, Luke eventually uh, became his, his traveling companion, and he would be Paul's own personal doctor. But notice that, that Luke, again, as he's, as he's actually uh, addressing this letter, the whole gospel Luke to, to, to this man, Theophilus. Interesting that his name, uh, Theophilus, is pretty much, you could, it's a Greek name, and you could break it up into two parts, Theos and Phileo, which is uh, a lover of God. Theos meaning God, and Phileo is, is, a, is a type of brotherly love. And so many people have, have even gone as far as to say that, that Luke was addressing this letter, not to a person named Theophilus, but to all those who are lovers of God. Uh, you could choose whatever side. It's not going to matter as far as your theology, but I think it's it's a it, it it's I think it's an interesting thing. You know, whether you take it as Luke writing it to a person named Theophilus or Luke writing it to all lovers of God, I think both are 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 are, are very very interesting, very uh, special uh, addresses. So you choose how you want to take that. And so he says again, he's writing this having had perfect under, understanding of all things from the very beginning. Right. And so as he's writing these things to, to the office and as he's writing his gospel account of all things that, that, that happened uh, as pertaining to Jesus, he says this in verse 5. He says, there was in the days of Herod, that's King Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. He says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both very well advanced in years. And so Luke introduces right away to, to, to these two uh, uh, persons, right? That is Zacharias and Elizabeth, who were told that they were both of, of the sons of Aaron, meaning that they were of the tribe of Levi, meaning that that, 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 that would have qualified Zacharias to be a priest. Now, in, in that time, in, in, in uh, Jesus' time and, and there in the first century, Keep in mind that from the, those of the gospel, I mean, those of the tribe of Levi and who were as functioning priests, there would have been as many as like 10,000 priests uh, that were functioning in that, in, that, in that position of priest. And so what they would do is that they would all take turns in ministering to the Lord in the temple. Uh, at that time, the second temple was, was, still, was still standing, right? It didn't get destroyed until 70 AD by the general uh, uh, Roman general Titus. And so that second temple was still standing. And King Herod being, uh, uh, having some type of, of Jewish lineage, we're told history tells us that King Herod actually took it upon himself to beautify the second temple built by, by Nehemiah. And so he made it into a glorious temple. The dude was, was gifted as far as architecture and, and, and design. And so he, he beautified this temple. And so we're told that there was this priest named Zacharias, right? And his wife, Elizabeth, they were both righteous. They were both righteous, but they were old. <laughs> they were advanced years, they were old, and yet they had no kids. Hey, to us, that doesn't mean much because you see a lot of good uh, older couples that don't have any kids, and it doesn't mean really anything, right? But back in that day and in their culture, uh, for a person to be, one, righteous, uh, married, and be old with no kids, a lot of people would have looked at that as a curse from God. Because to have kids is like the most glorious, most uh, just, it's like the most amazing, just, man, the biggest blessing of God if God blessed you with kids and, and, that's, and as it should be taken that way right but 
to them and they, 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 they put a high honor on this. You know, oh man, God has blessed you with an offspring. Right? Because now you're going to be able to carry on your lineage, your last name, your heritage onto your offspring. And they're going to carry it on to their own offspring. And so for someone to not have any kids, it's like, right, man, your lineage is going to die right there. Your, your heritage, your generation will die right there. And so you must be cursed by God. But notice that, that Luke mentions that, that Zacharias and Elizabeth, that they were righteous. They were righteous before the Lord, but yet they had no kids. And yet they were old. We're told that Elizabeth was one barren. And she was also old, meaning that she probably had some kind of uh, medical condition that, that, uh, that didn't allow her to have any kids. You know, so they were, she was barren and they were both well advanced in years. And verse 8 says, So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And so... Again, because there were so many priests functioning there at the temple at that time, thousands of priests, right? It wasn't, they couldn't just make a schedule like, all right, so-and-so, you're serving this day, you're serving that day, you're serving that day, right? And the many functions of, 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 the, of the tabernacle, of the temple, as we read through the book of Leviticus, that there, there were many things that were, that were to be done, right? One was, uh, was bringing the offerings, bringing the sacrifice. Another was uh, lighting incense that, that were to burn forever, right? Another one was, was lighting the candlesticks. I mean, there was many different things to do in the temple. And because there were so many priests, they left it up to chance. And so what they would do is that, is that they would uh, cast lots, meaning it's kind of a sense of like throwing dice, right? It's like they would all put their, put their it, didn't, it didn't happen exactly like this, but just to give you an idea, they would leave it up to chance, right? Their names were somehow picked randomly. Say, all right, cool. Uh, Zacharias, you're going to serve. You're going to do, boom, boom, boom. You're going to be lighting incense today. So-and-so, you're going to do, uh, all right, you're going to be uh, lighting the candlesticks. So, and so they left it up to chance. And so it was, it was a, a, a common for a, a priest, a functioning priest to live his whole life and maybe only serve in the temple once because of how many priests, other priests there were. And so for Zacharias' lot to fall on that day, for him to go in there and to light the incense, it would have been miraculous. It would have been, man, it would have been just the most amazing day of his life. All right, I got to go into the temple. I got to go serve God, right? Because uh, that, that's, what, that's what they were born to do, right? They were the tribe of Levi. They're the only tribe that was to serve in the temple. And for Zacharias, again, it could have even been maybe only his, his only time he ever served in the temple, right? Many commentators would say that that's probable that that was his only time in his whole life that he ever got to serve in the temple. And so we're told again that his lot fell, Right? And uh, it was his turn to go into the temple and serve the Lord and to light incense. And so it says this in verse 10. It says, And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. He, man, he was terrified. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not fear, or do not be afraid, Zacharias. For your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. He says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. But notice what it says. It says that as Zacharias went in there, as he went in there, and he thought he thought he was just going to go in there and serve the Lord, light some incense, say a few prayers, come back an hour later, and all right, man, that's it. I'm done. All right, but we're told that as he went in there to light incense, that an angel appeared to him, and an angel was standing at the at the right side of the altar. Of incense, right? Now we're going to be told later on that this angel was the angel Gabriel, but you could just imagine again as Zacharias went in there, you know, we're told that the angel said to him, Hey, your prayers are heard. Telling us that man, that Zacharias was praying for a long time. We don't know for how long, maybe his whole lifetime since he had been married to his wife Elizabeth. They were praying for a child, 
right? Years and years and years and years of just constant, faithful prayers that God had an answer. And now he's to the point where uh, Elizabeth is still barren. They're both too old to even have kids, but yet he's still praying, God, give me a son. God, give me a son. You know, and that's amazing because it tells us again about, about Zacharias' faithfulness to pray. You know, with perseverance, with endurance, without giving up, without quitting. He continued to, to trust in the Lord, right? With, with, without, without, without fail, he kept on praying. And so the angel appears to him and says, hey, don't be afraid because your prayer has been heard and God's going to bless you with a son. Amazing. You know, because it reminds me of certain things that, that I've been praying for for a man for years. And some things I give up like right away. We're like, oh, that seems impossible. It's not going to happen. And we give up, and we give it up, right? But we see that that, that beautiful example in Zacharias to to persevere in prayer, right? Later on, there was a in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, uh, Luke is going to give us a parable of Jesus, right? And Jesus giving a parable, and it's a parable of the of the unjust judge. And Jesus gives this parable, and he says there was a lady, you know, who was in a certain countryside, and 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 she was being plagued by people. People were taking advantage of her. Financially, and she went to this judge and she pleaded with him. Even though the judge did not believe in God and he was unjust, we're told that because of this lady's constant, persistent, you know, uh, 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 nagging him, <laughs> the judge said, "All right, all right, look, I'm gonna do something. I'm gonna work on your behalf." And and, and Jesus said, "Look, man, if this unjust, unfaithful, unbelieving judge would 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 move on behalf of this woman because of her persistent, you know, uh, nagging and petition, then why wouldn't God be in a God perfect?" Good, just judge. You know, move on on our behalf as we continue, continually and persistently uh, persevere in prayer, right? And so we see this beautiful example here in Zacharias of just persisting in prayer. And so it goes on to say, it says you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so we're told, man, Zacharias, not only is, did God hear your prayer, not only is an angel appearing to you, not only you know, is God going to work a miracle on your behalf and give you a son, but he's not going to be just any son. The angel's house. He's going to be a special kid. He's going to be a special son. He's going to be a special boy. He says that he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. And then we're told also that, that, uh, that he was to, to take what's known as a Nazarite vow. Meaning that from birth he's not going to cut his hair. And, and he's not going to drink uh, wine. He's not going to drink any strong drink. And he was to abstain from all sexual immorality. He was even a, a, a not to get married. Right? So within the, the Jewish culture that there, there was uh, what was known as a Nazarite vow. That it wasn't. Something that, that was um, required, but if somebody wanted to dedicate their whole life to the Lord, right, uh, they would just they would take this Nazarite vow and, and they would dedicate their whole life to the Lord. And, and then these two were requirements that they would not be able to cut their hair and they weren't allowed to drink any type of, of alcohol or any type of, 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 of strong drink or of wine. We have in the Old Testament the example of Samson. Samson, from birth, he took the Nazarite vow, right? And that's why he had long hair. And the story goes that, that, that because of his long hair, right, that he had this strength. But it wasn't his hair that was giving him strength. It was his vow to the Lord. But once he started compromising his, his commitment to God, that's when his strength left him. And so we're told about Zacharias' son, who later on we're going we're gonna to know as John the Baptist, right? That he was, to, to, that he was gonna be great in the sight of the Lord and he was gonna be uh, dedicated from his mother's womb. He was gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit, dedicated his life to the Lord. So again, he's telling him, look man, it's not, it's not just any kid. 
It's not just any baby boy. He says he's going to come also in the power of Elijah to turn the heart of the fathers to the children. Meaning, man, God's going to use them mightily. Right? The Elijah that, that Luke is referring to is the Elijah of the Old Testament. Right? The prophet Elijah found there in the book of 1 Kings. Elijah was one of many prophets of the Old Testament. But Elijah was used so mightily of God in the Old Testament that he became like the spokesperson or like the poster boy for all the prophets. Right, later on in, in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to have this account where uh, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up into the mountain, and, and Jesus is transfigured before their eyes, and he and they kind of they see his glory, and then uh, Peter, James, and John they see this vision of, of Jesus in the middle, then Elijah to the left, and Moses to the right, signifying the law and the prophets. Right, and so Elijah would become the the poster boy for for all the prophets of the Old Testament, and and, and, the, and the and the angel Gabriel tells tells Zechariah, man. John the Baptist, your son's going to come in the power of Elijah. Meaning that he's going to be so effective just like Elijah was in the Old Testament. He goes on to say, verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. So he said, man, well, how can this be? Man, we're, we're both old as dirt, old as dust. And he says, And the angel answered and said to him, I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute, and not be able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And so as Zacharias was seeing the angel Gabriel right before his eyes again, we're told that he was terrified because he recognized he was in the presence of an angel. Interesting that the last time the angel Gabriel appeared was 500 years prior to uh, the prophet Daniel. As Daniel was, was praying, and we're told that, that, his, that, that, his, that God delayed his answer, we're told that, that, uh, angel, that the Gabriel angel came, uh, to Daniel, he says, hey, look, Daniel, since the moment you started praying, God sent me out, but uh, Satan and his demons were, were, were hindering me, and I had to call Michael to back me up, and we had to beat those guys up, and now I'm here, right? And that's my own paraphrase, but in a sense, that's what it says. And so we're told that the last time he appeared was 500 years, years ago to Daniel, right? And now all of a sudden, he's appearing again to this, to this priest, Zacharias, and Zacharias is like, well, how can I believe you? <laughs> he, was, he had this unbelieving heart. He had this unbelieving heart. We're talking on Wednesday. And we're going through a, through a story in Second uh, Kings, you know, of how unbelief will hinder the work of God in our lives. Right? That's any unbelief. Unbelief hinders the work of God in your life. Right? And that's a principle that goes throughout the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Unbelief hinders the work of God in your own life. Right? And so and we see that, that, that Zacharias, even though he's seen this, the angel Gabriel, even though he's hearing these words of God, he's saying, but how is it possible, man? I'm, I'm old, man. My wife is old. We're, just, we're old. Right? He didn't believe. And so we're told, again, that, they, that Gabriel answered. He said, look, man, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I will send to you to tell you these things. But behold, because you didn't believe me, you're going to be mute until your son is born. And so that was kind of like the, the consequence of, of his unbelief. Look, man, because... You, you, you talk too much because you know you're 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 unbelieving. Then you're not going to be able to say a word until until he's born. And verse twenty one says, "And the people waited for Zacharias, and they marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless." And so as, as Zacharias is in there, he's ministering to the Lord, he's, he's, he's talking to the angel Gabriel. The people are, are outside, right? They've been praying this whole time and they're recognizing, man, he's, kind of, he's taking a while in there. Something must have happened, right? We're told that they're waiting and they're, they begin to marvel that he lingered so long in the temple. Now this is interesting because up until this point, 
up until this point, God had not spoken to anybody for about 400 years. Through either direct word or through an angel or through prophecy or through anything. The last book of the Old Testament, which is the book of Malachi, and from the last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi, to the first book, uh, which is Matthew, there's what's known the intertestamental period, which is 400 years in which God didn't speak to anybody. We're told it was because of their rebellion, because of their disobedience, because of their unbelief, that God says, you know what, I'm going to cause a famine to come upon you. Not a famine of, of water or a famine of food, but a famine of the word of God, right, because of their unbelief. And so for those 400 years, many things happened between those 400 years, but God did not speak to anybody. Now, interesting that, that, that during that intertestamental period is where we get a lot of the, uh, what's known as the apocryphal books, where, which are, for the most part, they're included in, like, in the, the, the Catholic Bible. Um, some of those books are included, like uh, uh, First and Second Maccabees, which were uh, uh, good Jewish historical books, but not inspired. And so a lot of those, those, those books that, 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 I don't know if someone's ever asked me, oh, what about the apocryphal books, or what about the books that are not included in the Bible? A lot of those books uh, came about during that period, during that intertestamental period, where God was not speaking, but yet people were writing. Right? And, and if, if you ever wonder why we don't include them in our Bible, because we don't consider them as inspired, because God said he was not going to speak to anybody. Right? And, so, and so there's this intertestamental period, and God is not speaking to anybody, but notice that the priests continue to do the work there in the temple. So for 400 years, they're ministering to God in the temple, but yet they haven't heard from the Lord. And that's it because, I mean, as we're reading it right now, I think, that, man, uh, that could happen to us too. I mean, how many times do we just go to church or get into the routine? Like, it's like we're not even hearing from God. We're doing it because it's our good, you know, religious Christian duty to go to church and to attend all the services or do whatever. But yet, man, when's the last time you heard from God? Right? These guys are ministering, they're priests, and they're ministering to God in the temple for 400 years. They haven't heard from God, but they're still in the same routine. Nothing's changed. Right? Until Zacharias, because, man, he was a, a, a righteous man, the, the, Lord, the Bible tells us, right, that, that he prayed, and he was actually seeking God. But, man, that could be us so many times. We were just in the routine, in the rut of things, in the, in the cycle of things, but yet, man, haven't, haven't heard from God, or not hearing from God. Right? But we're just doing the religious things. That's religion. You know, religion is, in, religion is obligation to a tradition. A relationship is like, man, God, I want to hear from you. Lord, I woke up and, and I'm seeking you early in the morning. God, I need to hear from you because or else I don't know what to do. Lord, I need you in my life. Lord, I need you to speak your word to me. Lord, I need to know you're here with me. God, I need you. I need to feel your presence with me or else Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. That was Zechariah. And so we're told that the people marveled outside. You know, when he came out, he couldn't speak to them and... and, and we're told that he remained speechless. And so it was, verse 23, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. And now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. So Zacharias just finished, finishes his service at the temple. He goes home nine months later from verse uh, uh, 24, to, from 23 to 24. That's nine months later. All of a sudden, uh, he goes back home and his wife you know, becomes pregnant. Just like I had said, she has a baby. And she says, again, she hides herself for another five months. And she says, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. She recognized, man, God was faithful. God was faithful. And she said, she, she, uh, she says to herself, you know, that she was reproached among people. Meaning that people were looking upon her, they were saying, man, she hasn't had a kid. Something's wrong with her. She must be in sin, or you know, she's probably rebelling against God, or God's probably cursing her, right? But yet she was a righteous woman, 
Luke tells us, right? That both her and Zacharias were righteous, but this was a thought of the people towards him. And you can just imagine, man, they're going to service all the time. They're going to minister at, at the temple, and she knows what people are saying about her. Right? Zacharias and Elizabeth faithful to serve God and to do what God has called them to do, knowing that, man, everyone's talking smack. Oh, they would walk by, everyone started whispering, oh, there they are right there. Yeah, they're cursing that God hasn't given them a kid. Oh, man, there they are again. I wonder if they should repent. And yet, man, God had looked upon them. Yeah, God had looked upon them, and God had his hand on them. And so she's just thankful to the Lord, and she says, man, God looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. You think about that. She says, man, God looked on me. And we can just read about right past that and think nothing of it. No. But yet she's recognizing, man, God looked on, on me. The God of the whole universe had his eyes fixed on me. And that shouldn't be so bizarre to read, because the God of the whole universe has his eyes on you, on me, on you. And, and, and we could just go through it and we not take too much time on it. But when you think about it, man, the God who created heaven and earth, all the galaxies, billions upon billions upon billions of stars, the God who took the time to form every grain of sand on the shore, and he's looked on you. And he knows you. And there's a story in the Old Testament of Hagar. Uh, she was... Uh, Abraham and Sarah's uh, uh, they're like made pretty much right? and then uh, we're told that that, that uh, Sarah and Abraham they couldn't have a kid so in their desperate decision you know Sarah says oh we should have a kid with Hagar my maidservant and God's going to fulfill his promise through that they ended up doing it it wasn't God's will and then later on when, when God did bless Abraham and Sarah with a son we're told that that, uh, that Sarah all of a sudden she's like man you know what I don't want Hagar on anymore you gotta, you know, just, just get her out of here. She began to mistreat her, and Hagar just ran away from 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 their from their home. And as she ran away, we're told that uh, God met her in the desert. And then she, as, as God met her in the desert, we're told that she spoke to God, and God told her, "Look, my eyes are my eyes are upon you." Right? And she named that place you know, Jehovah, who sees me, the Lord, the Lord who sees, right? The God whose eyes are upon me. And that's Elizabeth. She said, "Man, God's eyes are upon me." And so she's thankful to the Lord. And it goes on to say in verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, the same angel, was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And we're told that the virgin's name was Mary. And we're in Luke chapter 1, if you're wondering. <laughs> and so we're told again in that six months, so after, right, right after Elizabeth conceives, five months after, and then we're told that six months uh, the angel Gabriel appears now again, not to a different person, not to Mary. First he appeared to Zacharias, the priest, while he was ministering in the temple. And now he appears to Mary. And notice her, her, uh, her reaction to this. We're told that she was a virgin who was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, this word betrothed, um, it's kind of, hard, kind of hard to explain in, in English, but like the closest I, I could relate it to is, uh, is an engagement. So we're told that there was a, a, a virgin named uh, Mary, who was betrothed to a man named Joseph. And in their culture, betrothal was uh, almost uh, the same as marriage. And so if a person, if a, if, a, if a person, if two individuals were betrothed to each other, it's like they would have been considered married in the eyes of everyone else with the exception of um, uh, sexual intercourse. Meaning, man, if one of them would have been involved with anybody else, it would have been considered uh, cheating. It would have been uh, considered unfaithfulness. It would have been considered uh, you know, a, a fornication. You know, because they were, in the eyes of everyone else, they were considered married. Right? Only that the, the marriage hadn't been consummated yet. 
And so we're told that she was a virgin. They were betrothed to one another. They were engaged, right? Uh, they, were, they were in the eyes of everyone. They were married. And so the angel Gabriel appears to, to Mary. And it says, verse 28, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, for the Lord is with you, and blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, Consider what manner of greeting this was. And she said, Sorry, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Notice, Do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. Now, the Gospel of Matthew now starts off with the genealogy. In the Gospel of Matthew, and, and Luke later on also in chapter 3, wrote, it, it, it tells us that, that Mary and Joseph, if you follow their lineage, it goes back to all the kings, and it, 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 it traces back to the tribe of Judah, and eventually traces back even to David. Right? So we're told that both of them, both, both Mary and Joseph, were of the tribe of Judah, which is the kingly tribe, right? which is a tribe through where all the kings of, of Israel came forth. Now it's important, but we'll talk about that later on. And so as, as the angel Gabriel now appears to Mary, Right? He says, hey, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And you're going to conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He says, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the, th- the throne of his father, David. And so, again, and it was important that they be of the tribe of Judah. right? Because the prophecy about the Messiah was that he was going to be a king over Israel. And for all the Jews, they knew that he couldn't be a king unless he was of the tribe of Judah. Because Judah was a tribe through which all the kings there in Israel came forth. He couldn't be from any other tribe. right? So he had to be from the tribe of Judah. And so the angel Gabriel tells her, look man, he's going to be a king over, uh, he says he's going to take the throne of his father, David. His forefather, David. right? I mean, he's going to be a king. He's of the tribe of Judah. And so we're told, now again, uh, in verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, his king, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? Now you remember Zacharias' response was like, No way, how can this be? Me and, me and Elizabeth are old. I, we can't have kids. And, and the angel Gabriel said, Man, because you're a, of your unbelief, you're going to be mute. And now here's Mary saying, How can this be, right? since I don't know a man? And we're, we're going to see that, that the angel's response to her is going to be different. But it wasn't that... Mary was unbelieving, but she was saying, well, how is it going to be? How is it going to happen? Right? Zacharias was like, no way, that can't happen. We're old. His eyes were shut today. But Mary's response was more like, all right, but how? So she wanted to know the process of how it was going to come about. She believed the angel's words, but she didn't understand. She didn't comprehend how it was going to happen. But she believed that it was going to happen. Right? And that's the difference. And so then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know, since I don't know a man? Meaning that she had not been intimate with anybody. It says, and the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And so as the angel Gabriel was telling Mary, look, this is how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, right? And, and through the Holy Spirit, uh, you're going to birth the Son. And he's saying, and just in case you don't believe that, he's saying, look, God has already worked the miracle in your cousin Elizabeth, who was also barren, or who was barren, and God blessed her with the son. And he says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. I love that. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And so many times, we put our own possibilities on God. And we're the ones who limit God. 
There's a verse in Jeremiah that says, Behold, I am the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Again in Genesis. Behold, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And the truth is, there isn't. Right? If you could believe Genesis 1-1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, then there should be no impossibility for God. Right? Oftentimes it's us who live in God, and, and God is this big in our own minds, and we think, oh man, well, God can never do that. And here, here's the angel Gabriel saying, man, with God, nothing shall be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She's saying, man, right on, I believe it. Let it happen. Let's do it. And now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. And we're told, as she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the, with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told from her, which were told her from the Lord. Notice what, notice what, 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 what Elizabeth tells Mary. She says, blessed are you among women. She says, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord? Right, that word right there is curious. So Elizabeth is recognizing, man, the mother of my Lord. Right? Speaking about Jesus. She's recognizing, man, the baby that's in your womb. Right? He's the son of God. And she's recognizing even as, as, as he's in the womb. She says, the mother of my Lord shall come to me. She says, for indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And notice, blessed is she who believed, for there will be a mold, a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. My question to you guys, especially the women. Man, what has God spoken to you? What has God spoken to you that maybe you're having trouble believing? Was it a restoration? Was it a, I mean, a certain promise? For Elizabeth and for Mary, notice what Elizabeth says again, man, blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And we're told that God is always faithful. Right? God has never lied. God has never, uh, the Bible says that God is not like a man or like a son of man. That he should lie or he should take, take things back. Right? He doesn't take it back. When he says it, it's going to be done. And so God promised you something. And it's going to happen. It's going to be fulfilled. The timing is his. But it's going to be fulfilled. You know, my encouragement is not to hold on to those promises of the Lord. If God promised you something, man, he's faithful to complete it. Right? Because he's the one who promised if I promise something, man, I'll probably, I'll probably fail you more than anything. Right? But man, what God is faithful, He never fails us. So He says, man, blessed is she who, notice, believed. Again, as we mentioned earlier, our unbelief will keep us from seeing the work of God in our lives. Right? It's our unbelief that will keep us from seeing the work of God in our lives. So He said, blessed is she who, no, who, what? who believed. And then Mary, as she's just going to begin to praise God, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and his name. And holy is his name. And we can all say the same thing about God. And he who is mighty has done great things for us. Right? Holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and 
in, in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has held his servant Israel and in, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Now, number 57, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard about how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. And so notice as, as Elizabeth, again, she has, she's the first one to, 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 uh, to have a son, John the Baptist. We're told that after he was born, she kind of, she stayed hidden for five months. She stayed at home. She didn't come out. She didn't let anyone know. Again, here's the rest of the world thinking like, oh man, poor Elizabeth. She's never going to have a kid. She's so old. Right? And all the meanwhile, man, she's keeping the baby hidden from everyone else. And we're told that when her full time came, that she showed her, her neighbors. Right? And we're told that her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Man, God, perfect timing. Right? She could have been, as soon as she was pregnant, oh, hey, everybody, look at me, look at me, man. Ha-ha, shut you up. Right? God heard me. God gave me a son. But I said, man, she's waiting for God's perfect timing. And it goes on to say in verse 59, So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. And his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, Hey, there's no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet. Keep in mind, he's still meeting at this time. So he's like, All right, someone give me a notepad. He's like, I'm just going to write with, right? Trying to make signs. Because they were going to name him Zacharias. So they, they, they made signs to his father and asked him, you know, what, what, they, what they should call him. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. So keep in mind that, that the angel Gabriel told him, look, you have a son, you're going to call him John. He's going to come in the spirit of Elijah. Right? And the tradition of that time, there, you know, and we still do it a lot too, especially Mexicans. You have a son, and boom, you name your first son after you, right? He's going to have a son. He's going to name his first son after, after, after him. And it's kind of like a tradition in the culture. And so as, as, as he was born, everyone said, all right, well, we're, we're, what are we going to call him? Zacharias? He's like, no, we're going to call him John. So they asked Zacharias, hey, man, there's no one in your family called John. Are you sure you want to name him this? He says, the name is John. As soon as he said that, as soon as he wrote that, we're told that he spoke and he began to praise God. And then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? They recognized, man, he's not an ordinary child. Right? He's not like, any, like all the other kids. What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. Now, his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As you spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have, been, who have since the world began, says that we should be saved from our enemies and that from the hand of all those who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. So notice, as Zacharias, the priest, began to now prophesy, he wasn't a prophet, he was a priest. But as the Holy Spirit came upon him, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he began to prophesy. Meaning he began to speak forth the word of God. And he's saying, look, of all those things that he's saying, he said, look, man, God has been faithful to us. Uh, he's, raised, uh, he's raised up for us a, a, a Savior. 
Right? He's going to save us from the hand of our enemies. He's going to perform mercy upon us. Right? He's going to remember His promises with, that He made to us. He's going to remember His oath that He swore to our father Abraham. He's going to grant us that we be delivered from the hand of our enemies. He's saying, look man, God's going to work mightily on our behalf. To what end? He says, so that we might serve Him without fear. In, the whole, in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our lives. And we see that whenever God does anything for us, right, man, whenever God delivers us from anything, it's to the intent that we would serve Him more freely, right, without any fear. Without any fear. You know, um, I'll share with you guys, man, like when I was younger, too, I couldn't even speak. You know, I have like this, there's a speech impediment still comes up every once in a while when I get off, when I get in, in a little, my own little funk, right? But I was like, man, God, does these things, he delivers them. I mean, I couldn't even go to the drive-thru and order something, a meal, because I would just, this anxiety and fear would just hit me, and I couldn't speak, it was just, you know, you guys know, I don't know my sister, Pete, you know, right? Man, they've known me for a long time. And God delivered me from that. The last thing I ever thought I was going to do was be a, at a pulpit teaching the Word of God, but yet God delivered me from that to the intent was I to go out there and blab about me, 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 me. No, he did it to the intent that I should serve him with Without fear. With freedom and without fear. And whenever God delivers us from anything that's our sin, uh, strongholds, things that are binding us, things that maybe uh, plague us, He delivers us from those things so we might serve Him. Right? Not for not so we might serve ourselves or so that we might serve our own carnal appetites, but so that we might serve Him without fear and with freedom, in holiness and in righteousness. And He goes on to say, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remissions of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. And so notice what, what uh, Zacharias prophesies about his son John. He says, you child will be called the prophet of the highest. You will be called the prophet of the highest. And so we see that through scripture. Again, there was this time of the prophets uh, ending with John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the last of the prophets. He was the last prophet. And he is interesting because the prophets typically think of him in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament sense. But John is the last prophet. We see him here in the New Testament. So he kind of crossed over the timeline. And so John the Baptist is the last of the prophets. Right, but he asked you, man, who was the last prophet? Man, John the Baptist. He was the last prophet. Right? Later, uh, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew says something interesting. I believe it's chapter 13. I'm, I'm not, I don't remember exactly what verse. But, but Jesus, as he's speaking to the disciples, he says, Among all those ever born of women, the greatest is John the Baptist. He says, man, of all babies ever born, the greatest baby that was the greatest person that was ever born was John the Baptist. Not Moses, not Elijah, not yeah, Jesus. That was Jesus speaking. That was Jesus speaking. <laughs> and so he says, the greatest baby ever born, Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, I think it's 13, someone can look it up. He says, the greatest baby ever born, the greatest person ever born was John the Baptist. And then he says this, he's speaking to his disciples. But yet, I tell you this, that even the least in the kingdom of God will be greater than him. I tell you. Speaking about John the Baptist, he says, man, John the Baptist was the greatest person that was ever born, ever. Greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, greater than Isaiah, greater than Daniel, greater than Abraham, greater than all those guys. He says, but yet the least in the kingdom of God will be greater than him. Why is that? 
Because John the Baptist was under the Old Covenant. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets, even though we read about him in the New Testament. He was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And though he was the greatest prophet ever born, because he had the privilege and the blessing of making way for the Messiah, because he had the privilege and blessing of, of announcing the coming of the kingdom of God and the coming of, of Jesus Christ and, and, and the appearance of, 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 you know, of God the Son, that's why he was the greatest prophet ever born. But he was still under the Old Testament. He was still under the Old Covenant because he died before Jesus was crucified and resurrected. So he was still under the Old Covenant. So Jesus said, even though he's the greatest prophet, the greatest man who was ever born, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him because even the least, even there's no insignificant people in the kingdom of God, but for lack of better words, the last, even the most insignificant person in the kingdom of God in the New Testament under the blood of Christ is greater than the old, the greatest Old Testament prophet because he died in the old covenant. That's heavy. That is heavy. That you could think, man, even if you think that God has never used you in a mighty way, think about, I'm still greater than the greatest prophet who ever lived. And that says a lot. Even if you think, man, well, I've never shared Jesus before. I've never prayed for anybody. I've never, you know, done anything significant for God. I've never gone on a ministry trip. I've never taught a Bible study. I've never, whatever. I never prayed out loud. Hey, you're still greater than the greatest prophet who ever lived. And so it goes on to say, and I'll finish with this, uh, as, as again, as uh, Zechariah says that about his son, John, in chapter 2 it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius uh, was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her, first, her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a, ma- in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. The birth of Christ. Right, the birth of Christ. Now, in uh, the Gospel of John, John chapter 7, we're told that, uh, that Jesus had other brothers. Right, so Jesus was the firstborn son of Mary and he was born while she was still a virgin. That's 100% true. He was born of the Holy Spirit. He was the son of God. But John chapter 7 and, and other uh, scriptures, but specifically John chapter 7 tells us that while well, it was uh, of the week of the, the Feast of Tabernacles, we're told that Jesus' brothers were mocking him saying, hey man, this is a perfect time. We got all these all this big old crowd of people here. Why don't you reveal yourself to the whole world? Mocking him because they didn't believe in him yet. Right? And so, uh, contrary to what, what, what some teach, Mary didn't, was not a, a virgin her whole life. Right? She had more sons. One of them is, was a man by the name of James who wrote the, the book of James in our, in our New Testament. And so she continued to have more kids. But her firstborn son and, and the child who was born uh, while she was a virgin and who was birthed of the Holy Spirit was Jesus Christ. Right? And so she were told that, that in, the, in the time where, where, when she had him, we're told again that she brought him uh, to a manger because there's no room in the inn. And with that, we'll stop right there and we'll pick it up next week. Amen. Father, just thank you so much for your words. Lord. I 